it has to be the greatest opening line of any book ever. Better than once upon a time. Better than it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Better even than Snoopy's favorite. It was a dark and stormy night. This book simply starts off with this line. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God. And we learn immediately that this is not a book primarily about morals. It's not even a book that's primarily about us as human beings. But this is a book primarily about God. About His desire to reach His people. So this morning we begin our 31 weeks journey in the story. And we know that 31 weeks is a long time, well at least in non-pandemic years. Uh, so we're going to break it up into several smaller series. The first which is inspired by my favorite childhood toy, Legos. How many of you grew up with Legos? How many of you still play with Legos? Amen. All right. That's, that's my kind of people right there. You know, you know the amazing thing about Legos? I, I got this set the other day. This happens to be a tractor, uh, and uh, it's, it's pretty cool, pretty cool little deal. It actually even has like um, some new parts that I hadn't seen before. There's, there's a little girl in here that is actually like, uh, she has shorter legs. She's a kid, so she fits like the same blocks and everything else, but she's, she's a little farm girl. I'm just going to call her Kristen. And uh, why is that funny? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and then my, my son helped me put this together for the most part last night. Um, but, you know, of all the different parts that are new on these Legos, of all the different things that are, that are new about them, um, the reality is, is that uh, they're more curved than they used to be. Um, they're more, I guess, more aerodynamic. Not that a tractor ever needs to be aerodynamic. They're not exactly uh, made for speed, are they? Um, but underneath these Legos, if you build a Lego, you'll know what I'm talking about. Underneath these Legos, it's the same old parts that have always been there. In fact, the same pieces that they've started using back in the 1940s when they started using in plastic still work today with every new piece. It's the beauty of it. Here, I can't forget my little farmer in here. There we go. I'll call him Steve. That's Kristen's dad, by the way. But the old pieces work just as well as the new pieces do. In fact, do you know where all my old Legos are at? All my old Legos are mixed in with my kids' brand new Legos because they work just as well. Here we go. There we go. Because that's the beauty of things like Legos is that what started off as foundational has now become something that can still be used just as frequently today. And when we look at the book of Genesis, what we have to understand is it's, it's a lot like Legos. And the understanding that, you know, when we go on through Scripture, there's this thing called progressive revelation. As we go further into Scripture, we learn more about who God is. It's good novels happen the same way. Good books happen the same way, where progressively more and more is revealed. But at the same time, what we understand is that the same building blocks that we see in the book of Genesis are the ones that Jesus builds upon for His ministry are the same that the rest of Scripture is built upon. 
So it's not like, hey, this is Genesis and then the scripture is going to go in a different direction. But rather, it's that everything is headed in the same direction. The things that we look at in the next five weeks, as we talk about this series called Building Blocks, are going to be foundational pieces. And the first building block that we look at today is this. God is good. That's it. That's it. God is good. Now, some of you, I know what you wanted to say in response to that. So let's go ahead and get it out of our system. All the, and all the time, there you go. Like, like you get that. But like, that's not just a saying. That is the very core message from the first three chapters of Genesis is that God is good. And we see that through His creation. We see that through the relationships that He establishes. And we see that through redemption as well. And so let's dive into these things today. First of all, we're going to see God's goodness in creation. Did you know that in the ancient Near East, meaning those places around Israel there in the Middle East as we know it today, that they all had their creation, what we'd say creation myths as well, about how the world came to be. But all of them started in some type of chaos. In fact, we even read in one where one god killed another god, and then he turned the dead god's carcass into earth. Now, some of you grew up by like a meatpacking plant, and be like, yeah, I kind of, I kind of, that's kind of what that probably would have smelled like, right? The reality is, though, is that if something started evil, or if something started in chaos, then if, it, if it's chaos now, then how's it ever going to be good? Whereas what we understand with Scripture is that it started good, then it got chaotic, but the hope is that it will be good again, correct? And we can't have that if it's just all about the chaos. And that's the problem whenever we talk about uh, the, the creations of the world and things like that. Where if it's always in chaos, if there's no God that's orchestrating it, whatever you believe about how God, the world came to be, the reality is, is if God's not in the picture, and this just all formed out of chaos, then how can it ever be good? And so today when we talk about God is good, we talk about God's goodness in creation because we have to understand that this world is not always going to be chaotic. It hasn't always been chaotic. There's a day that's coming where it won't be chaotic anymore, where God's good order will be fully restored to the world. That's our hope as Christians, not merely to find hope in this lifetime, but to understand that the resurrection life is coming. And so here's how it begins. God's goodness in creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. What we see in over and over in chapter 1 is this word God. It's, just a, it's a general word for God in Hebrew called Elohim. Over and over and over again. 35 times the word God is used. But then we also see that after each day of creation, God says that it is good. We're not going to read through the other days of creation except for day 6. 
But every other thing, every other day, after God creates something, He sees that it is good. Why does He see that it is good? Because He is good and He creates something good. Evil things don't create good things. You don't have dictators creating good cultures, do you? You don't have evil rulers creating good things. But God is good and He creates the world to be good because God is good. Now what about mosquitoes or even worse, terrorists, things like that? Well, those come in later on in this story. Not much later, but those are all things that are a result of the fall. We'll see that those come about because of Satan and because of us. Because of the choices that we make to follow Satan rather than to follow God. But later on in verse 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Nothing else in creation is made in God's image. And it says, So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in His own image. And the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And so we see that human beings are the hallmark of creation. Human beings are the high point or the focus of creation. Everything else was designed for the good of human beings. Now that doesn't mean that we are to be merely consumers of this world, but rather it means that we are to be stewards of the world, is what we are about to see, that God has entrusted to us the care over all of creation. And so it says in verse 28 that God blessed them. Do you understand that God created us to bless us? God created us because He wanted to have a part of His creation that was uniquely blessed. And over 400 times in the Old Testament alone, it says that God blesses human beings. 400 times over and over and over again, God is all about blessing. Think about all the ways that He has blessed us. He's blessed us with breath and with life, with sustenance and shelter, relationships and community. He's blessed us with parents and children. He's blessed us with the truth of His Word and with the wisdom to live it out. He's blessed us with His presence in Christ and His indwelling in the Holy Spirit. He's blessed us with His forgiveness and redemption, grace and mercy, peace and hope, faith and love. He blesses us when He says yes, and He blesses us when He says no. He blesses us when we're called to stay, and He blesses us when we are called to to go. He blesses us for our sake, and He blesses us for the sake of others. He blesses us with eternal life, and He blesses us with a renewed life right here and now. Do you believe this? That God is good, and that everything He does is with the intention to bless human beings. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply in number. Be fruitful and increase in number. That's the first commandment in all of Scripture right there. Be fruitful and multiply. Can I get an amen? amen? All right. Fill the earth and subdue it. Roll over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And God saw all that He had made and it was not good. It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. God created us, church, 
And He created us out of His goodness to bless us. And we see that God didn't just stop with creation, but we see God's goodness in the relationships that He established as well. And chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and that man became a living being. God didn't just speak man into being. Now, if some of you are a little confused here, wait, I thought that was back on day six where he did this, and then in chapter two, is he doing it again? Well, it's a little bit like he's just zooming in the camera and focusing in the story on human beings and the creation. And he doesn't just speak human beings into being, but he does this very intimate thing where literally he breathes life into mankind's nostrils. It's this beautifully intimate thing that shows that human beings are to walk with God, that human beings are not just merely another aspect of creation, that God is not wanting to just stand off far and watch from a distance, but that God is wanting to be intimately involved in human beings. And so in verse 20, we see that God gave man the task of naming everything, all the living animals. And part of this was just kind of like a like an introduction to the animals to help him to see, hey, there's something that's missing here. Do you get it, Adam? And so it says, so the man gave names, at verse 20 of chapter 2, to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. God wasn't surprised by this in verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. He just gave him the first lazy boy and set him up there, propped his feet up, and said, Here, Adam, you just relax for a while. And while he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs, and then he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Then man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman. For the first thing I saw when I saw her was, Whoa, man. Is that the way that goes? For she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife, and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked, and yet they felt no shame. God blesses us with sacred relationships with both him and with others. We see marriage as this most sacred relationship, but this doesn't just extend, this isn't just for marriage. I believe that there's a deeper teaching here about the deep relationships that God wants us to have with one another. God has blessed us with relationships, and we are to carry out the goodness of God in each of these relationships that we have. Relationships are not merely for us to consume or to get things out of, but relationships are for us to pour into because God has poured into us. So why is there so much emphasis on God's blessing and goodness in these first few chapters? I would recommend to you because it's the very first thing that Adam and Eve questioned. And it's the very first thing that we question as well, isn't it? We question God's goodness. Why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? We question the blessing that comes through His commandments. Why would God want me to do this? Doesn't God want me to be happy? And those are the same lies The same questions that were brought forth by Satan. We see the third thing that happens in chapter 3 is God's goodness and redemption. It says in chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. 
And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, he really flipped that around, didn't he? Because really what God said was you can eat from any tree in the garden except this one. You've got thousands of others to choose from, and there's just one tree that I'm asking you not to eat from. That's it. Just one. And what does Satan say? Did God really say you can't eat from any tree at all? And that's what Satan does to us today. When we, when we come up against God's commands, God's directives for us, how we are to live out His goodness in our own lives, what we understand is that we often process and hear, God doesn't want me to have any fun. God doesn't want me to enjoy anything. God doesn't want me to live in any way. There's no way I can be happy within God's laws. When in reality, God's laws are designed out of His goodness. Do you understand that? God's rules are not so that you can be unhappy. God's rules are so you can have peace. They're designed out of His goodness and out of His love. It's like an excellent set of parents who design guidelines and rules for their child how to live because they want them to grow and to become the best human beings that they can become. In the same way, God's rules, God's guidelines that He has for us are not done to punish us or to see if we can pass some kind of test, but God's guidelines for us, His rules, His law, is because He loves us. And He wants what is absolutely best for us. And I can tell you this, He is good. He's good. He's not placing anything on your shoulders that's not out of the very nature of who He is. And so God, we see in this story that the woman replies to Satan, When asked if she can't eat from any trees, it's like, well, it's not quite like that. The woman said to the serpent, which, by the way, the man standing by here is silent, we read later on in the text. Satan comes to the woman, and the man just stays there silent. Hey, guys, if that's your wife, you need to get out there and get in between her and Satan, right? And so the woman says to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit than the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Well, that's not what God said either, is it? God didn't say anything about touching the fruit. Hey, if you want to pull that fruit off the tree and go play catch with it, go throw it at the wild deer, whatever you want to do, like try to hit one of them with it, like he didn't say anything about that, did he? But this is the first known case of human legalism right here. This is the first time we see legalism creeping into our world. And so often, that's when Satan delights, when we get legalistic about things. Because legalism isn't believing in God's goodness either, is it? Legalism isn't trying to follow a set of rules without God's goodness. That's not what we want either. And so we see, of course, in the story, I'm sure you know how it goes, that that Adam and Eve, they both partake, they both eat of the, of the fruit. I don't think it was an apple. I think it was this thing in the Philippines called a durian. I don't know if any of you have, have, any of you ever heard of a durian. If any of you ever tried a durian? They are this awful spiky fruit that has spikes all over it, and you have to reach between the spikes and peel it open. And then after you peel it open, this horrible, awful smell comes pouring out of it that makes you want to gag. 
And then if you try to eat the fruit, it's also disgusting in my opinion. Some people say it tastes like heaven, smells like hell. I think it just tastes and smells like the same thing, all right? And, and, and I'm convinced that this, is, this was the fruit in the center of the garden because God did everything possible to try to deter, deter man and woman from eating it, but yet they did anyway. And so I'm convinced that's what it is. That's just, just a free side note for you. It doesn't cost you any extra or anything else, all right? But after they eat of it, they come, and now they have shame in their lives for the first time. Do you realize that shame is not a feeling that comes from God? Shame is not something that God wants to do you to experience or for you to feel, and yet we all do, don't we? Shame is something that comes from Satan, not from God. It comes from sin when sin is in our lives. And so God, he talks about some of the consequences that there are going to be. There's going to be consequences for mankind. We're going to experience death. We're going to be barred from the garden. But the real consequence comes to Satan. And in verse 15, we see more of God's goodness coming. He speaks to the snake and he says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And church, we believe that that was a prophecy from God Himself spoken to show us, foreshadow to us who Jesus Christ was and is and what He would do for us at Calvary. That even though Satan would strike His heel, that even though Jesus would experience death, that Jesus Himself would overcome Satan and would crush His head. And so we believe that in God's goodness, Rather than merely showing some type of anger in the garden, what he does is he shows his goodness to Adam and Eve. That he promises that there will be a Redeemer that comes. And we see later on in verse 21, he didn't just give them that promise for someone who would come much later. But he also takes care of their temporary needs. As now they're feeling shame and it says that the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And we see God's goodness and redemption, that God blesses us even when we sin with both immediate provision and the promise of future permanent provision. God has shown His goodness to us through creation, through relationships, and through the promise of redemption. The question I have for you is, do you believe Him? Do you believe that God is good? And that He is longing to bless you. He is longing to be a blessing in your life. Can you see how God is good and how He is blessing you even through the pain? Even through suffering? Even through hardships? This is from a writer named Mary Ann Bird. She says, I grew up knowing I was different, and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. When I started school, my classmates made it clear how I looked to others. Little girl, misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, garbled speech. When schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced nobody outside of my immediate family could ever love me. Then there was a teacher in the second grade that we adored named Mrs. Leonard. 
Annually, we would have a hearing test, and Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class. Finally, it was my turn. I knew from past years that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper to us individually, and we would have to repeat back something like, the sky is blue, or do you need new shoes? I waited there for the words, but God must have put something in her mouth because those seven words changed my life. Instead of hearing the sky is blue or do you have new shoes, Mrs. Leonard whispered to me, I wish you were my little girl. Church, the story of Genesis is God whispering to us, I wish you were my little girl. I wish you were my little boy. It is God's greatest wish. But the story, it doesn't end there. The rest of the story in Scripture tells us about how God would literally do anything to make that dream come true. And one day at Calvary, Jesus, our older brother, would respond to God's greatest wish with the greatest closing line ever. It is finished. And with that, God's greatest wish has come true. You are now God's little girl. You are now His little boy. You are truly that blessed. Father, we come to You um, wanting to believe that. Wanting to believe that You are good. And Lord, like The man in John 9, we pray, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, you are that good. You not only long to bless us, you have blessed us. And so we look to you, Jesus. We look to you, our Savior, the one who has smashed the head of the serpent forever who has taken His venom in your heel and yet has been resurrected to life. Jesus, You are the ultimate symbol of God's goodness and we celebrate Your resurrection. We celebrate the forgiveness of sins that we have. We celebrate the hope that we have of our own eternal life when You return. So we believe in You, Jesus, and we trust in You. And we pray that we would truly put Your blessing into practice and put your goodness into practice in everything we do. God, you are good. We know it through Jesus. Amen.